Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Friday, June 3rd, 2022. And today will be better than yesterday. Producing from her home near Bristol, Connecticut, is Sarah Abbott. Taylor Schwenk is working from his new home uh, in the foothills of Connecticut. I'm Buster only working from my home in New York before I head off to Chicago later today for the Sunday night game that we have between the St. Louis Cardinals and the Chicago Cubs. Last night in Milwaukee, the Brewers, the Padres, and it looked like the Padres are going to win this game. They had a 4-1 lead going into the bottom of the ninth inning. Jace Peterson of the Brewers came to the plate with three runners on base. Here's a pitch. Swing and a drive into right center. Deep warning drive. That was a call from the great Bob Euchre, 620 WTMJ. A little sideline here. Taylor, did you happen to see the video that Bob Euchre put out yesterday on Lou Gehrig Day? I, I did not. Please tell me and the people. Yeah. So Bob Euchre's daughter uh, has been impacted by uh, ALS. And Bob talked about that uh, in, in that video. There were so many great tributes uh, yesterday on Lou Gehrig Day, including from our Tim Kirchin. That's something that I'm going to talk about with Carl Rabbits coming up. Well, after Jace Peterson tripled, Andrew McCutcheon came to the plate. The pitch. Swing and a base hit to center, and the Brewers win! Andrew McCutcheon knocks in Jace Peterson with a winning run on a single to center. And they have come from behind to beat San Diego. Big win for the Milwaukee Brewers. The Yankees and Angels played a doubleheader at Yankee Stadium yesterday after the rain out on Wednesday. The Yankees won the first game of the doubleheader, blowing out Shohei Otani. And then in game two, Jamison Tyone was dealing into the top of the eighth inning. He had a perfect game. And then this happened. Grounded up the middle and off the glove of IKF. And that'll be the first base runner. Going for second is Walsh. He will make it. And he's in scoring position starting off the eighth inning. Yeah, Michael K with that call on the Yes Network. It felt like if a perfect game is going to be broken up, that wasn't the type of hit you wanted on. You wanted like a, a single ripped into the outfield. But that was, uh, you know, Isaiah kiner falefa trying to make a play. Uh, it definitely should have been scored a hit, but it bounced off him. It turned out to be a double. That led to the Angels scoring a run. But in the bottom of the eighth inning, the Yankees would come back. Grounded up the middle. It's a base hit. And Duhar scores. Here comes Kanda Falefa. He'll score. It's a gigantic pinch hit. Two-run single by Anthony Rizzo. And the Yankees lead 2-1. to one. And they won game two with a doubleheader. Their record now is 36-15. and 15. The Angels are slumping big time. They're 27 and 25, having lost eight in a row. Speaking of eight in a row, the Blue Jays and the White Sox and Teoscar Hernandez seems to be working his way back. Here's Teoscar Hernandez who drills one. Deep left field. Vaughn looks up at the wall. It's gone! 
Later, Bo Bichette would tack on. The pitch to Bichette. On a line out to right field into the corner, pushing Sheets back. That ball's going to carry over his head. Gurriel is in to score. Espinal goes first to third. It's an RBI single off the wall for Bo Bichette. And the Blue Jays have opened up an 8-3 lead over the White Sox. That would be the final score of those calls from Sportsnet 590. The fan, the Blue Jays win that game 8-3. There is lots and lots and lots of injury news, unfortunately. The Twins play Sonny Gray on the injured list because of a pectoral strain. This is after he missed time earlier in the year with a hamstring strain. The Blue Jays place Hunjin Ryu on the injured list because of left forearm inflammation. Of course, that raises all kinds of questions when you get forearm injuries with pitchers whether or not it's a sign of things to come. The San Diego Padres sent down struggling Robinson Cano, who opted to become a free agent. The Phillies lost second baseman Gene Segura for 10 to 12 weeks because of a fractured finger. And also, maybe bigger news, Philly star Bryce Harper was a late scratch from the lineup prior to Wednesday night's game against the Giants due to right forearm soreness. I think that's something to watch as we go forward. I'll be talking with Carl Ravitch about that. The Baltimore Orioles pitching prospect Grayson Rodriguez is out because of a strain lap muscle. Got some thoughts about that that I'll share later in the podcast. This is terrible news for the team, but it's also even more terrible news for one of the best pitching prospects in baseball. Francisco Lindor slammed his finger in a door, so he was not available for the Mets' first game of their four-game series against the Dodgers. Buck Showalter said he briefly considered using Lindor as a designated hitter in last night's game, but decided to sit him out instead. Uh, The Mets and the Dodgers played last night. Not a lot of runs. Mookie Betts was responsible for one of those. Oddest hitter. Stays that way and gives the Dodgers the lead. Three consecutive singles, and it's 1-0 in the fifth. Yeah, that was Joe Davis on the Dodgers television network. Tony Gonsolin threw six scoreless innings in L.A.'s 2-0 win over the Mets. The Braves are in Colorado, and Travis Darno feasted. There's a drive to deep left field, sailing way, way back towards the pole. Home run! A two-run homer by Travis Darno flattened that baseball. Deep down the left field line. And that is his fifth home run of the year. And the Braves add on to the lead. It's now 5-1 Atlanta. And he sends another drive to left. This might be a grand salami. It's gone. Home run. That's what you call a four-run homer. 9-1 Atlanta. On a way to a blowout, I was getting text messages throughout that entire game from my son, the Braves fan. He's pretty fired up that the Braves are now just two games under 500. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, a couple things to mention. Swagoo and Perk, they have a new show every Wednesday for you. You can listen to it whatever you listen to podcasts, and you can watch it on YouTube. This week, they're doing a mental health check-in, and they discuss Steph Curry's place in NBA history, Perk's past criticism of the Celtics. Ooh, tough, tough look for Perk after last night. The beef between Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban and why Stephen A. Smith hasn't been on the podcast yet. Get on that, guy. Swaggoo and Perk, wherever you listen to podcasts and on YouTube. Also, check out the latest entry from 30 for 30, the greatest mixtape ever. It's the story about how a series of streetball videos set to music in the 90s transform basketball's place in the culture, define the lives of the players who starred in them, and change the game itself forever. Stream that now on ESPN Plus and listen to the companion podcast 
30 for 30 podcast, a streetball mixtape exploring the essence of streetball through a collection of legendary stories. Listen now on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's Code Baseball. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. All aboard. It's the Rabbit Train with Carl Rabbit. The Rabbit Train will be in Chicago this weekend. Carl Rabbit, play-by-play man on Sunday Night Baseball, and we got the Cardinals and Cubs. And Rabbit, it's going to be a fun day to put Adam Wainwright on a pedestal. You know, we did. What did we do? The Cardinals a few weeks ago, and it felt like we put Adam Wainwright and Albert Pujols and Johnny Molina on a pedestal. But Adam Wainwright's one of these guys, Buster, where you think about people that are allegedly going to hang up their spikes. You look at his numbers, you look at the person, you look at the leadership, you look at his relationship with the city and the team, and you wonder, like, really? Like, what, what, where is he going? Why is he going anywhere? I mean, his numbers have been outstanding. His curveball, while he's throwing it less, continues to be incredibly effective. He's using a sinker now more and more, and he gets guys out. Like, who, I just read the article on ESPN.com about the – 148 names that might be available. And while Wainwright and the Cardinals are definitely going to get into the playoffs the way they're playing, think about if they weren't, he'd be at the top of every list. I mean, he'd be the Luis Castillo. He'd be the Frankie Monta. Like, he's that good, and we're thinking about hanging it up. So, yeah, I'm uh, I'm all about watching Adam Wainwright and Yachty Molina do, do their business on Sunday night. Yeah, Albert's made it clear this is it. Right after yep. all these years, and Yachty's got all that wear and tear of being a catcher. He's made it clear this is it. Adam Wainwright, you know, I'm looking forward to talking with him tomorrow because I'm going to ask him about that. Like, are are you sure? Are you 100 sure? Especially Carl, because when you look at his career numbers, he clearly at this point is a borderline case for Hall of Fame. Like, I don't, I don't think uh, you know, with the numbers that he has now, that he would be voted in the first time he'd be on a ballot. I do think that eventually he would get in. But if he pitched another year, another two years, that kept on accumulating numbers and it took his win total, and we don't care about win totals as much as we used to, but took his win total over 200, you know, given his history in the postseason, I, I think he would move from being a borderline guy to being, yeah, he's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, look, a, a good, strong postseason would benefit him. Um, uh, you have to tell me where you think – he is relative to a guy like Schilling. I mean, Schilling's the guy for me that should be in the Hall of Fame just based solely on yeah. his pitching. Is Adam Wainwright better than Kurt Schilling? And th- that's where they're, you know, they're they're close. Schilling clearly has sort of a postseason pedigree that I don't think Adam's numbers suggest. Another ring wouldn't be the worst thing. 
But those are the, like, I would, I would always use Kurt as the bar. And to me, Adam's there, but he's got to do, as you said, a little bit more to get over that. Yeah, and I think uh, during the course of the broadcast on Sunday, you're also going to hear another part of uh, Adam Wainwright's life, and that is music. Uh, it, <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be fun to hear some of the song, about some of the songwriting that he's done uh, during his time in baseball. By the way, uh, before, and I don't mind telling this story here on the podcast because I know David Cohn is too busy you know, with the, all the broadcasts he's doing to ever listen to this, but before we had our call, Zoom call yesterday, I reached out to Andy Jacobson, our, our producer, and I said, hey, when we talk about Wainwright in the Hall of Fame, we need to extend that to our friend David Cohn. Because uh-huh. when you yep. look at his numbers, okay, yep. uh, Adam Wainwright, I think his career war is around 42. David Wright's, or David Cohn's career war, 62.3. He's in the yep. same statistical neighborhood uh, as guys like Juan Marshall and Don Drysdale, uh, who you know are in the Hall of Fame. He's got plenty of company right there. Uh, there were a number of years where he was the hired gun. Like any team who was in contention, right. you go trade yes. for David Cohn, 194 wins, a 3.46 ERA, pitching most a lot of his career in the American League East. You know what? Let's go, voters. <laughs> no argument for me. I, I agree with you. I mean, when we when we first, you know, were told he was being considered for the job, you do a lot of research on him, uh, A, as a person, B, as a pitcher. I mean, obviously, we covered him throughout his career. But all those numbers that you suggested and his ability to do it on five different teams and his ability to win, win rings, all those things do add up. And you're absolutely right. I, I think he is undervalued uh, and underappreciated. I, statistically, the war is wonderful. But I think perception-wise, maybe because he bounced around, he didn't wear one uniform, um, uh, hurts in, in the eyes of, of the public. Like, how good was he? But if you were there to witness the perfect game, if you were there to see him get hired in September or traded in July – that was the guy you wanted on your team. And I'm, I'm all on the buster train with this one. I, I agree with you. And especially in the context of somebody like Adam Wainwright, because he does stack up very favorably. And if you're going to bring up hall of fame for Adam Wainwright, you have to mention David Cohn. So a teammate that we have who already has been voted in the hall of fame is Tim Kirkchin. And yesterday uh, ESPN.com ran a piece on Lou Gehrig day in which Tim wrote about uh, what's going on with his older brother. And I know you're very close to Tim. You know, you and I started hearing about this from him last summer. Uh, It it was an incredible piece, and I would encourage anyone to go and read it. Tell me, Ravi, how did you process that piece as you went through it? I processed it as as just another step in the way that he and the family are dealing with with the disease and the diagnosis and his brother, everything that was written down there, I think, as you just pointed out, like we've heard, I know about the story and everybody wearing the jerseys. Uh, We know about the dad and two brothers and how he literally reveres his brothers and how baseball was the language that was spoken in the house. And, you know, every time I speak with Tim, which is very frequently, there is a question always, how's Matt doing? And, um, you know, there, there's a, there's a bravery, but you know, it's the most, as I was thinking yesterday after reading it, it's, it's impossible. And it's a, it's, it's foolish to, in a way, compare illnesses or diseases. But if you're inclined to go down that road, 
there are none worse than this one. And that's because we all know how it ends. Um, if you got ALS 30 years ago and you got it a year ago, the diagnosis in the end game is exactly the same. There's, there's, there's a lot of money being thrown at it. We need more, but the result of the, of the current protocols still is death. And it's, it's such a resignation and to watch somebody and their facilities slowly, you know, fade away uh, for somebody who loves somebody so much. It is, uh, uh, you know, uh, my wife read it. She cried. I read it. It was very, it's, it's, it's emotional. Uh, having heard all of these things, it didn't surprise me. Tim wears, as you know, he wears his emotions on his sleeve and, and look, there's no silver lining in any of this. But the idea that he got a chance to do that with his brother and that Matt, God willing, is going to end up at the Hall of Fame ceremony with Tim and the rest of the family uh, is something that is very significant to the Kirkshin family. And, you know, he articulated that the first line of the article. He went from the greatest day of his professional life to the worst day of his life when the diagnosis was given. Yesterday, I saw that our buddy Boog Jambi had posted those T-shirts that are available, you know, end ALS and the great pictures of all the major league managers and players that are wearing them. I immediately got in touch with the owner and purchased 30 uh, with every team color on them as a way to support it. I'm going to wear it to the ballpark every weekend we go. And uh, it's it's obviously a, a small uh, donation to, to the cause. But this is something... Um, and this isn't preaching. Everybody has their own hills to go climb and fight for. But there's one in baseball that's affecting many people very, very close with us that I wish we I wish we could do more. And to, to what extent we can, I'm going to do that. We'll talk with Tim next Tuesday about Matt uh, when he comes on and about the amazing piece that he wrote. As again, again, anybody can find it on ESPN.com. Absolutely incredible. Uh, Carl, last night, Yankee Stadium, Yankees and the Angels and Jamison Tyone, I, I thought he was going to get it done, not only because he looked great, but the Angels are a mess. What happened to the Angels in two weeks? They went from being, you know, well, they finally got a good team worthy of Mike Trout to what's going on? Yeah, I, look, I, I think, Buster, this is not new in baseball. Uh, I think the Angels are good. I think they're better than they've been. I think the Angels will be fine. Um, but the peaks and valleys of every major league team, good or bad, the Mets will have it, the Dodgers will have it, the Yankees. What, what the difference between those teams that are really, really good and the others that are just good and going to get in, uh, the Cardinals to me are, are sort of angel-like in that they're, they're not in that upper class currently. Um, your, your losing streaks are a little longer than they would be if you were the Yankees or the Dodgers or the Astros. The best teams, you know, they may lose three of, of four. They may lose five of, you know, nine, but th that's it. Then they kind of go and win 10 of 12. The, the problem with teams like the Angels is you can run into these ruts, and that's and by the way, your schedule is a factor. We had this conversation last week. The schedule matters. And you go into Yankee Stadium while while getting swept in the doubleheader usually doesn't happen. Not a shock. Like, that's who the Yankees are this year. And between Cortez and the, the development of Jameis and Tyon, I remember Tyon came out of a game earlier this year and handed the ball to Michael King and said afterwards, like, golly, if I had the stuff that he had, lo and behold, I'd be great. Jameis and Tyon's getting better like the, the Yankees the story of the Yankees this year may very well be 
the improvement of the players they have on their roster within the season or from one season to the next. Those guys are getting better in front of our eyes. Cortez, Tyon, King, uh, certainly Clay Holmes. <laughs> Think about where they were, good players, to where they currently are. And yeah, near-perfect game. Cortez could start the All-Star game. Holmes may very well be the best closer on a team that had one of the best closers who's not really being mentioned anymore like, like Clay Holmes is. Michael King for a while was the best reliever in baseball. That, to me, is going to be the, the story of the Yankees as long as they continue on this trajectory. It's the improvement of the player within the season or from one season to the next. And Tyon's an unbelievable example of it. Speaking of trajectory, at his current trajectory, Aaron Judge uh, is on track to hit 60 homers exactly, Carl. He's got 19. I believe that by the end of the year, assuming that Judge stays healthy, this is going to become a big story because I still think that number 60 holds a lot of meaning uh, for a lot of baseball fans. The last guy to hit 60 home runs in a season, actually two in 2001, Barry Bonds hit 73. Sammy Sosa hit 64. Aaron Judge has a chance to hit 60. Do you think he gets there? Well, the good news for him, it's not as if you can necessarily pitch around him because the lineup is so good. Um, I think the yellow flag in the room is still his his injury history. Um, yeah. We've seen Stanton go down. I, I look, I, I would root for I root for every player to stay on the field for as as many games as they can. But look, there is a history that you are still trying now to diffuse. And yes, if he is able to, to play 155 to 160 games, sure. I, I think it's, I think it's possible. Um, but I, I would, I would throw that yellow caution flag up in that that hasn't happened. And even guys who appeared like, Ooh, is he going to be healthy this whole year? Have taken some time off on the injured list. I, I gosh, I hope it doesn't happen. I agree with you, especially given the organization. Sixty is a is a critical number, and I I also nominate Buster as the Aaron Judge quasi agent because you've been on this since since the whole thing didn't go well with regards to an extension, and you know you've been you've been playing the harp of my God, he bet on himself, and and look what's happening, and it's a it's a different bet on himself. It wasn't as if he was getting nothing. It's just a question of, is he getting more than the hundred millions that he was already offered? But yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's very capable of doing it. If he stays on the field and Buster should get a piece of the pie. (laughs) All right. Top of the show. I mentioned all the injuries that we've seen the last 72 hours around baseball. You know, I'm not going to worry about the Lindor injury. He'll be back in the lineup probably later today, but others, I want to ask you about uh, rapid fire style scale of one to 10. How big is this? Are these injuries? Hunjin Ryu of the Blue Jays goes out with a forearm issue. Scale of one to ten. Yeah, nine to ten. I mean, anytime forearm, shoulder, elbow with a pitcher, I get panicky. And we're st- we we have because of medicine learned that forearm is not is, is like literally a terrible diagnosis. I don't want to hear about forearm when I have a guy that I need on my team. That's bad. That's nine to ten. Yep. Gene Segura, the second baseman for the Philadelphia Phillies, broken finger out 10 to 12 weeks. Scale of 1 to 10. Yeah, 5. Um, and look, he's in, in a terrible defensive team. 
He's okay. There's a lot about Segura that's that I like. Um, I think I think he's the kind of guy that on a team that does win, you need a guy like that. I like Gene Segura. Uh, I just don't necessarily buy into giving it a higher number because I'm not sold on where the Phillies are going this year. If you told me that he was the starting second baseman on a team that needed and depended on him because they're winning, I'd probably raise it, but he's coming back. I just don't know where the Phillies will be when he does. Yeah, I agree with you, which leads to our next injury, which I don't think got a lot of attention, but I think should. Bryce Harper the other day scratched from the starting lineup yes. with right forearm yep. soreness. Um, you yeah. know, Carl, we always think of the trade deadline as being a team, uh, the time when the teams declare themselves. I think in the Phillies' case, it might be when they make a hard decision on Bryce Harper's condition. Because they're right. kind of telling us, yeah, he's got an elbow issue that prevents him from playing in the outfield. You, you know, they're not going to tell us everything, so we can speculate. I do wonder if this is a player who might need Tommy John surgery at some point. Right. And if their season right. continues the way it down this path, and you've got Kyle Schwarber under contract for a long-term deal and Nick Castellanos under contract for a long-term deal. You need Bryce Harper in 2023 back in the outfield. And that yeah. might be the white flag moment for the Phillies. What do you think? 100%. And look, I, I remember I remember when the diagnosis first came out that he wasn't going to play in the field. The conversation we had was, can you imagine, like just think back to Bryce Harper as a little boy and to the present, how many baseballs he has thrown over the course of his life. This was a a 12-month-a-year kid since he was about seven, and this is an outfielder. Think about the number of times he has made baseball throws and never had type injury that some of the pitchers get. I got to believe he has thrown as many baseballs as anybody his age still playing baseball who never had an injury. And then the question was, wow, he's going to be able to DH – at what point does this elbow bark again? You, you know, and it's, it's like literally like stepping on a ladder, and at some point you've stepped on it for 25 years, and you, you were aware 10 years ago that bottom step was getting a, a – it's just a weird sound. 10 years later, after stepping on it every day, you realize, I, I've got to fix this. I've got to get a new ladder. I've got to get Tommy John. That was always the concern when we heard about that diagnosis early and he was going to DH. For me, terribly, and I love the guy and I love the competitor in him and I love the player, it was going to be, well, when when does the next bad foot kind of drop here as opposed to he's going to get back in the field and start throwing again? Like I, I, I didn't see that and. As, as we all like to say, I'm no doctor, but I didn't see that part of it. No, uh, and something I'm sure the Phillies are already talking about internally, if in fact this is the direction this is headed with Tommy John surgery, you know, Chris Sale coming back from, from his surgery as a pitcher, you need about 15 months. Position players, it's less time. It's about nine months. So we're getting close to that time where if he's going to be ready for the start of the 2023 season uh, mm-hmm. and he needs this surgery – then they need to consider doing it. So that is a situation I think we're going to be watching closely in the weeks ahead. All right, Rabbi, uh, I will see you in Chicago this weekend. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Buster. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus Chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. 
That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Jesse Rogers covers baseball for ESPN. He is rooted in Chicago. Jesse, how you doing? Great to be with you, Buster. Thanks for getting up early for us. We're taping this at about 8 o'clock Eastern time, which means Jesse probably was drinking coffee at about 6, getting ready for it. Yeah? Yeah, something like that. Spent the night at Wrigley uh, last night watching the Cubs and Cardinals. I mean, the Cubs have a little scrappy team there. St. Louis in town for a five-game series, including a Sunday night affair. And the Cubs took game one. So it'll be an interesting week. And the weather has turned just really perfect here in Chicago for baseball. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> we were there earlier this year, and then it was less than perfect, that's for sure. Uh, the White Sox get blown out yesterday, yesterday by Toronto. Can they recover from all these early season injuries, Jesse? I'm less optimistic than a lot of people, and that includes some part of the fan base, which is surprising. Usually fans go to the negative, but everybody's looking at this division and the fact that the Twins aren't running away with it. But the White Sox are five games back. And the big thing here, Buster, even in the last few days, they're playing without Tim Anderson. They weren't playing great with him, and they certainly aren't going to play great without him. Right now, the schedule doesn't favor them. They lost a series in Toronto. They got swept. Since 2020, Buster, when the White Sox were good these last couple seasons, they're 28-31 and when Tim Anderson doesn't start. Hmm. They score one run less a game. I'm not worried if they're five games out over the next few weeks, but what if they get to eight or nine games out while Tim Anderson is on the shelf? So I feel like the season is on a, on the brink right now. Uh, one thing this team does not have is left-handed hitting. Uh, uh, collectively, OPS is last in baseball from the left side. You saw the White Sox load up on lefties yesterday against Manoa, which is the right thing to do if you have dangerous lefties. They didn't do much against him. Got a few guys on in the first inning, then he mowed down like 16 or 17 in a row. The White Sox are flawed. Are they flawed enough not to overcome the Twins in a weak division? I'm going to say it remains to be seen. I have my concerns. A lot of people think like, okay, the Twins aren't that good. The Sox will overtake them over time. And maybe they will, Buster, but it's going to take a while. This team might have to wait until August to make their move. That's when the schedule really lightens up. And who knows when the next injury is going to occur. Yo, Mankata's down. He's back. Eloy's been down. 
Luis Robert had COVID. Now Tim Anderson has a groin. It's one thing after another, but it is a long season and there is time to recover. I just worry it might be one of those seasons where they never get started. What's the latest information on Anderson in terms of how long the White Sox think he might be out? Yeah, reports out of Toronto, because he just got hurt here in Chicago. They went to Toronto. We're pretty good. Like, he's already doing things on the exercise bike, a little bit on the field. They said three weeks. Knowing him, it might be less. Um, Their first nine games post-Tim Anderson were against the Blue Jays, the Rays, and the Dodgers. And then the Rangers come to town, and Texas is no pushover anymore. So three weeks hopefully will be the max. Um, And that's what I'm saying. You know, five games doesn't sound like a lot, but – Three weeks without Tim Anderson, you might be facing eight, nine, ten games out. That's if the Twins can take advantage. So far, the first three days without Tim Anderson, they've not been able to do that. Real quick, I wanted to ask you uh, what you thought about Josh Donaldson's response the other day to all the conversation around what happened with Tim Anderson. I, I will tell you this. I, you know, when I, when I initially saw that he had spoke to it, I, I just cringed for him. Because I, I, I'm just surprised that I was surprised as this played out. I thought for sure there would be a day when Josh would go into in the uh, you know the press availability room for the Yankees and say, you know what, guys, I listened to Aaron Judge, I listened to Aaron Boone, uh, I listened to what Tim Anderson had to say. You know what? I made a mistake. Uh, I blew it, and I'm sorry. And I'm dropping my appeal, and I'm just going to accept my suspension and go forward. But instead, the other day, Jesse, double down is too strong. But he basically tried again to explain his position, and he talked about how it was hard to hear Aaron Judge, Aaron Boone, basically disagree with him uh, with what happened. You know, those guys both said that that what he said to Tim Anderson shouldn't have been said. And I just, for, for Josh's sake, I'm surprised he just hasn't put this to bed. If I was going to give him the benefit of the doubt, I would say this, Buster. He might be well-intentioned, but he doesn't know how to go about it. He doesn't know how to get to that place or say the right thing that his intentions become true. Now, worst case scenario, he's not well-intentioned. That he's just this, this guy that is just not, not all with it there. I will say, though, listening to those latest comments, the wake-up call always comes from within the, your own clubhouse. The White Sox can say whatever they want, and Donaldson can pass it off. But when your own teammates, especially in this sport, don't get behind you, that should be a wake-up call for Donaldson. Yeah. If it's not moving forward, then he's a lost cause. He's a lost cause. That, that's, what I'll have to, that's what I have to say about that. Like Now it's on you. No more... You get no more breaks from anybody if you screw up. Because we know he's gotten under the skin of many players in different ways. Some of it good at being a good teammate and stuff, but a lot of it in a bad way. And this was one of those times that it happened in a bad way. And he needs to, he needs to get his acting together, even if he is well-intentioned. It's not coming across that way, even in apologies. On Sunday night, I'm sure that we're going to be talking a lot about a Cubs rookie who has made a tremendous impact right away. Tell us about him. Christopher Morrell, and this is the season where you get these kind of performances. The Cubs are not trying to win anything, so they can bring up a bunch of guys. They've had, I don't know how many guys have made debuts this year. I mean, I've lost track already, Buster. Here's a guy that's a little bit bigger, um, you know, signed out of of the Dominican, and he's got something to him. He reminds me of Javi Baez in terms of the energy that he brings. And he can play shortstop, third base, center field. 
He's now leading off games. He's got like an 800 on base percentage to lead off games. He'll show some patience. He'll take his walks. But there's a there's something to his game that that feels like it's it, it's real that it might stick around. I've already talked to scouts who who asked me the question: Who's the best player on the Cubs right now? Who would you want going forward? You say Ian Happ. You say say a Suzuki who's out with an injury. He, the scout looked at me and said, "Don't forget about Christopher Morel. He's starting to open eyes with this energetic game, and I like his look. He's not a small guy, and the Cubs have a lot of small guys that can break down." He's got something there. He's got that little it factor. Uh, I, I mentioned the first inning. He's also really good late in games. He had his first walk-off the other day, a sack fly. His two home runs have come late in the game. His um, OPS is like a, over 1,000 or it's 900-something late in games. So the moment hasn't proven to be too big for him. In 10 games, his on base in the first inning is over 800. This, this is a guy that I think might belong. Yeah, I think if you can a base percentage to that high, the Cubs will find a spot for him. They'll also likely, I think, find a spot for Wilson Contreras with another team before the trade market. Uh, it, it's very interesting because on one hand, he's having a, a really good offensive season so far, you know, done the sort of numbers that I think uh, teams look at. But on the other hand, his defensive numbers are, are way down. Like his pitch framing numbers are way down. How do you think that uh, contenders will interpret all that, Jesse? And who are some teams you kind of looking at as maybe potential fits for Contreras once we get into the trade market? Well, I, I do believe sometimes it could be tough to trade for a number one catcher midseason, learning a new pitching staff. But beggars can't be choosers, right? We, we saw the Mets go have an injury with McCann. They're always in contention for anybody that's available if, if they have a spot open, I would yep. think. Um, I think – the Cubs were probably correct in going kind of year to year with him. This is a different season. I think he's opened their eyes. He's been a leader in the locker room. He's, he's using the whole field. Um, he's staying on the field. He'll get nicked, you know, but then get back right out there where in the past he's had some injuries. They may still circle back to him. He's got an arbitration hearing in less than a week. That throws a wrench into things, right? They may circle back to him before the deadline and, and, and talk about, you know, what a long-term contract would look now. I think he wants $20 million a season. I think he's thinking JT Real Muto than anyone else that you could compare him to. And just using Real Muto as an example, Buster, you know, he lost an arbitration case with the Phillies. He went to free agency and actually re-signed in January. Yep. So as long as the relationship is good, and I think it's pretty good, you never know what could happen even going into the offseason. Now, it's less likely than likely He'd resign if we're getting to November and stuff. But, uh, and I think he's going to move on one way or another. I can't tell you if that's August 1st or November 1st. I'm just, I can't read the tea leaves just yet. Trading number one catchers, rentals late in the season, it's not often, right? We don't have a great foundation to look back at and say, this happened, this happened, this happened. Um, you know, I, I think the Mets would be in there. I think that, you know, I have to see who, you know, Who's in it there? Because here's the thing. There's a lot of people that think the six or seven playoff teams, or the six, play, six playoff teams in each league are, are set. I think the Angels are starting to come back to the pack and the Rangers. But if you're set, if you're in the playoff hunt, you're going to give up a lot for, for a catcher that late in the year, you know, with a two-month rental? I'm not sure. So the, I think the market is yet to emerge for him. Um, you know, do, do teams already in the hunt, you know, trade for him thinking about October? I'm not sure you do that with a catcher. So it's a, it's a little different 
when you're trading for a number one catcher with two months to go on his contract. And I think that the, uh, the trade market is yet to emerge for him, but I do think he's more likely gone than staying. Yeah. A team to watch. I think the Yankees are interesting. I mean, it may be there that uh, because of their early season success with these two defensive catchers that they're using, that that's the route they'll continue to go. But here's one thing about Contreras. I think you back me up on this. Teams could look at him as being, you know what? We like our catcher, whoever that is, whatever team that is. We like our catcher, our primary guy, but Wilson Contreras, we can use as a DH because he's a really good offensive player. That's probably why he's played so well. They've been able to get him off his feet. Jan Gomes, when healthy, has been a really good addition to this team. In fact, pitchers really like throwing to Jan Gomes. Wilson Contreras, even with Gomes down, has been DHing more. P.J. Higgins, a guy they called up from the minors, has been getting time behind the plate. I've seen this on the south side, too. Yasmani Grandal has been a DH more than he's been a catcher. Reese McGuire's been catching. It feels like a little bit of a trend using both your catchers in a game. So, yes, you're right. If there's an opening at DH for someone, and I don't know if many teams have have that opening, uh, Wilson Contreras can play there as well. We got news yesterday about Grayson Rodriguez, one of the best pitching prospects in baseball. He goes down with a lat injury. He's out indefinitely, which the team now has acknowledged. And, and look, for the Orioles, who are building this uh, nice core of young pitching, I was talking with Alex Cora the other day, the Red Sox manager, and he was complimenting how uh, Baltimore staff has gotten better. Uh, so for the Orioles, it stinks. But I got to tell you, I, I, I felt bad for the kid. I felt bad for the player more than I did the team because I feel like this, this is someone who should have absolutely been in the big leagues already. Uh, it, it, you know, but because of the timing of all this, he may lose an entire, you know, he may lose, say, three and a half months of service time this year. We don't even know when he's going to be in the big leagues again or for the first time. Uh, and if you're the Orioles, you know, in their front office, who knows if they'll decide to slow play this thing after he comes back and maybe begin to affect his free agency another year. Cause there's no doubt they slow play this Jesse. When you look at his numbers in the minor leagues, and this is someone who's a touted prospect. He's not someone who came out of left field this year and surged up and suddenly uh, emerged this year in the minor leagues, 11 starts, 56 innings, 80 strikeouts, 80 strikeouts in 56 innings, 14 walks. So a walk every four innings, one homer and a 2.09 ERA. But the Orioles held him back past the date in the minor leagues, past the date uh, where, you know, he, he, to the degree that he's going to be have his free agency back up by a year. They mm-hmm. held him past the arbitration date. So even if he's a super two, you know, that, uh, you know, that opportunity's out the window. Uh, and I, you know, it stinks. And I'm not suggesting that he would have not gotten hurt in the big leagues, but he earned the right to be in the big leagues. He earned the right to be accruing that service time as he goes through this injury. What do you think? Well, you know, I covered the lockout and wrote a lot about all the issues. And at the end of the lockout, when they, when they made their agreements, I, I, I talked to both sides, especially on the union side, about some of these things they tried to fix, right? But it's not complete. Service time manipulation isn't completely fixed. Neither is the idea of tanking, right? The incentives, and this is, you know, talking to a lot of players, um, aren't there enough 
for a player to automatically be brought up at the beginning of the season. Like the, the team can't say no to the incentive of the extra draft picks. Like it's just not enough. Now you talk to people on the union side, it, it's a start, right? They've, they've made some progress, but I guarantee you Grayson's going to be a name that goes on a list that yeah. over the next five years is going to grow. And they're going to say, look at this guy, look at this guy, look at this guy. This problem is not fixed. Just like, in my opinion, the moment the lockout ended, when the Reds and the A's dumped salary and dumped players, that those teams go on a list. And then in four years from now, they're going to say, look at all these teams that, that, that we're, we're taking. Tanking isn't fixed, and neither is service time manipulation. So all this gives ammo for the next time around. And people might say, well, why didn't they fix it this time around? And even Scott Boris told me, it, it, sometimes it's baby steps. Sometimes it's just introducing the problem to the world. Taking was never discussed, never handled in any way. No. At least they've addressed it in some way. Service time manipulation was never addressed. Now they've at least addressed it. They've opened the door for it. Now, if that list grows, there's more of those guys in four years from now, then they will attack it even further. And so I guess it is baby steps, but these steps take every five years to make progress on. And Grayson might be the first guy on that list. Because we, ha- we did see a few other guys make it, right? We saw Bobby Witt make it. Uh, Torkelson make it um, to, to start the season, but this is a guy that didn't, and, and it'll be remembered. A hundred percent. If the Orioles wanted to do the right thing, if they want to do the right thing in this moment, put them on the big league roster, put them on the major league injured list, and let him accrue service time as he comes back. That's not because happening, Buster. Oh, I know. Yeah. I know. But if the Orioles were to push back in this conversation, oh, that's not what – oh, really? Then put him on the big league roster – Put them on the big lead injury list. It's not going to happen. But, you know, I think something that they need to think about, and you saw this firsthand in the relationship between the Cubs and Chris Bryant, is the long-term effects that it can have. I've been thinking about this theory because, you know, the, the 2016 Cubs in the aftermath, it, it, they've been a fascinating topic of conversation. Like, why didn't they do more with what they had, with the talent they had, with that core that was young? And one of the factors, and just one, I'm not saying it's the major factor, that I believe uh, affected this team was that service time manipulation with Brian. Because I think it affected the, the relationship between the team and the player. And I think it began to build in some cynicism among that core group. Are you buying? Because you covered the team on a daily yeah. basis the way that I didn't. But I absolutely have come to believe that was part of what went on when it, what went on between the Cubs and some of the players. I'll say this: I think it oh, it was always bubbling under the surface. Yep, you know they 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 broke that curse and were on such a run that it, it wasn't at the forefront, but it bubbled, bubbled under the surface. And it also, and we've seen this with many teams, there was a little bit of a to your point a disconnect in the sense that they built this great culture, this great family, which included real families, their own family. Let's bring everybody in. And then all of a sudden, the contract stuff starts to pop up, not just with Bryant, but with those other guys. It's really hard to reconcile. I mean, Anthony Rizzo was traded for, uh, you know, a team by Jed Hoyer two different times. He was with Jed Hoyer on three different teams. Yet when it comes time to make a, get a contract done, they're not on the same page. How is that not taken personal at some level? And yes, uh, they, they filed a grievance and loss. I'm talking about Chris Bryant. So you, these are human beings. They're not robots. 
And when they're pushed, when, when, when they're pushed back on, whether it be a contract or service time or a grievance, there has to be an effect. It, it, it's not just separation of church and state here. There's, there's an emotional aspect to it. Again, I don't think it was at the forefront of Chris Bryant's mind, but it bubbled under the surface. And it goes to my point of your family in one sense, but when it, when it comes time to get paid, it's all business. And I think yeah. the Cubs who left, yeah, felt a little hurt in that way, whether it be from ownership or management. While management's, management's thinking, look, we have to make the decisions best for the team. And I think part of that involved Chris Bryant and, and everything that went on with his service time manipulation. I hope that Grayson Rodriguez, you know, as he moves forward, has a great relationship with the organization. Taylor, as the resident Orioles fan, do you agree with my idea? Like, if the Orioles want to have a moment of good faith in it right now, put him on the major league roster and let him do his rehab while being on the major league roster and get service time. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, that would be the nice thing to do, but uh, I, I can't imagine any amount of contrition uh, with Michael Elias and company. Especially, he should have just been on the major league roster to begin with. I mean, like to yep. start the season uh, a couple of weeks ago, he, they should have brought him up with Adley. Like he just, and it's frustrating because he just shouldn't have been in the minor leagues, like let him work it out in the big leagues. If he would have gotten hurt, you know, in the big leagues, I guess that would have verified Michael Elias is like, well, we're working him up sort of theory. But, you know, I, I, he just should have been there. He shouldn't have been in the minor leagues. No. Taylor, Taylor, if Adley doesn't start the season hurt, does he make it right away? I think he I think he would have. I, I OK, I, I would. I'm not I can't say that for sure, but I, I think he would have. I just wonder what the Orioles trend on these topics is going to be moving forward because we did see a bunch of young guys make it um rodriguez in cincinnati torkelson i mentioned you know that i feel like the rule did have an impact but obviously not on everyone no i think it's totally organization organization date more uh of the royals is absolutely steadfast against the idea of service time manipulation he went one direction other teams are going other directions and i it stinks it stinks for the players all right jesse thanks for doing this Okay, see you this weekend, Buster. Bleacher Tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for Glorious Friday. First up, Richard Kelly at That Chester Kid writes in, Lindor missing a game because he closed the hotel door on his finger made me wonder what's the weirdest non-sports injury to a ball player you've ever seen. Trevor Bauer cutting his finger on the drone is what comes to mind first. And Buster, I'm not a ball player. I'm a ball podcaster. I hurt my back mopping my floors last night. So does, does that count? Man, are you okay? I, I'm a t- it, play through. It's a little sore today. I don't know. I slept on my back last night. I didn't really like that. I've been stretching. So, uh, yeah, we'll, I'll, I'll let you know if it, uh, if it gets worse and I can't pod on Monday. But I, hopefully we'll be fine over here. No, I, I know you're going to work it out, Sarah. I, I think that what we have going on here is that, uh, you know, Taylor is like the Cal Ripken of podcast producers, right? <laughs> Just working his way through injuries. <laughs> yeah, you know what, Taylor, sometimes God gives his biggest battles to his toughest warriors. So wow. you are, you're really strong. I really appreciate the, the support, guys. Let's go to uh, <laughs> Justin Simmons at Justin Lansom one. He writes in, hey, Buster, why aren't more people talking about Sandy Alcantara? Is it because the Marlins are a middling team? Talk about restoring the preeminence of starting pitcher. He's built in a day off for the bullpen. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And yes, it's because it's the Marlins. Right. If he was doing this for the Yankees, we'd be talking about him as much as we're talking about Nestor Cortez. Right. There's no doubt about it. Sandy Alcantara so far this year, a 181 ERA, 74 and two thirds innings in 11 games. And how about his teammate Pablo Lopez 
10 starts, 59 innings. He's got a 183 ERA. So two amazing performances from Marlins pitchers that we really should be talking more about. Maybe, you know what? Maybe try to get Don Mattingly on the podcast next week. Ooh, great idea. Jarek McGinnis at Cupstradamus is up next. He writes in with IKF's valiant effort falling short for Tyone. What's the all-time defensive play in a perfecto? I'm taking Dwayne Wise. I tell you what, the Bleacher Tweeters today are coming with it. Like, they're answering their own questions. Jared, you're 100% right. I was doing SportsCenter that day. Here's the call from Hawk Harrelson with Dwayne Wise saving Mark Burley's perfect game. That ball hit deep into left center field. Wise back, back. Makes the catch! What a play! Dwayne Wise makes the catch! What a play by Wise! Mercy! A great catch by Dwayne Wise! It's unbelievable as Wise goes back into the wall knowing he has no room to spare. He goes up over the wall and then juggles it before corralling it. What a play by Wise. Under the circumstances, one of the greatest catches I have ever seen. Yeah, pretty amazing play by Dwayne Wise. That was really cool. David at Baseball Fan 1918 writes in the out by Otani in the seventh of the Tyone perfect game bid was kind of close. Is there a manager's unwritten rule book about challenging calls in a perfect game bid? Yeah, you absolutely challenge. Like there's no question that you challenge because uh, you're still trying to win a game, especially with zero zero. So if you feel like that, you know, something was done wrong for your team, you're going to challenge a call. I, I, you know, for me, it's a no brainer. You play to win the game. Mitchell at Tigers of Detroit is up next. Toronto is hot right now. Is it not a question of if not when they overtake New York or does New York actually have the talent to beat them over 162 games? Yeah, the Yankees are playing great. I mean, there's no getting around that. Uh, I think we all kind of wonder uh, if the rotation can hold up, you know, injuries, will they become a factor? Will this bullpen shake up? You know, how will that turn out? Who will the Yankees add before the trade deadline? But Toronto, at the end of the last regular season, I've told this uh, on the podcast before, I had folks with the Red Sox and the Yankees tell me they were relieved that the Blue Jays didn't make the playoffs because they were were that good at the end of the last regular season. Uh, They're starting to get hot. And while there's no question the Orioles are better than they've been in the past, nearly 20% of their games starting on, I think it's June 14th, are against the Orioles. They still have 19 games left against Baltimore. Time to feast, Blue Jays. Mark Sherman at Shark Merman is up next. Is Nestor Cortez basically the Kurt Warner of Major League Baseball? Like I said, I mean, the, the, the bleep, the tweeters are just, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I can't disagree. That's a great call. They're doing our job today, Buster. Yep. Thomas Noel at TH Noel writes in, as a, has a team ever overcome a 10-plus game deficit to win their division? Asking for my struggling Braves. Uh, losing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most famously, uh, the in 1978, the Yankees were 14 games behind the Boston Red Sox and ran down the Red Sox at the end of that year in Game 163. But you can't count on that happening, which is why I said on a podcast uh, a couple days ago, I I think the the National East is over. I I, I do believe the Braves are going to make the playoffs. I think they could win the World Series again, but catch the Mets with that big of a gap, I just don't see it. Let's bring it full circle here. The stadium man at Tari Haina writes, and at what point does Manny Machado go on the IL with a sore back from carrying the Padres? 
I feel like I need to have you answer that one, Taylor, given your issues today. Mm, he's much tougher than I am. So I think it'll be a while before he hits the IL. I, I'm probably going to be sent. They're probably I'm probably going to be designated for assignment here if things don't get better. So uh, thanks for <laughs> thanks for writing in, everyone. Hashtag Bleacher tweets on Twitter and follow the ESPN YouTube page because Buster and Tim Kirkshin will be at it again on Monday afternoon over there. Check it out. Yeah, I think we're going to wind up doing that on Tuesday, but I'm mm. looking forward to doing that with Tim and, and to follow up with him on that amazing piece he wrote about his brother uh, dealing with his uh, ALS diagnosis. That's all for today. My thanks to Carl, Jesse, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and rem- remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day.